Hebrews chapter number 11 this morning, Hebrews chapter number 11, I am reminded of something that David said. Uh, He said, I have not exercised myself in matters too high for me. And yet, here this morning, I confess that I am doing exactly the opposite. I am exercising myself in matters too high for me. And when we get into the message and the topic here today, I think that you will certainly appreciate what I mean by that. Hebrews chapter number 11, if you would stand as we honor the Word of God here this morning. We'll begin reading in verse number 32, Hebrews 11, and verse number 32. And what shall I more say, for the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, and of Barak, and of Samson, and of Jephthah, of David also, and Samuel, and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. We have no problem with talking about these great heroes of the faith, great men like David the Goliath killer, and of course Gideon who went after thousands and thousands of the enemy with just himself and 300 men. They didn't even use the sword of the Lord in Gideon, they just broke a bunch of pitchers and defeated the army. These are great stories that would make great novels for us to read and to talk about and tell about. We love those stories. But then, verse number 35, women received their dead raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance. Why? That they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, Yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment, they were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. And what does God have to say of these? He says in verse 38, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth, and these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise, God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. God says of these, the world was not worthy, and yet God says that we have something superior and far better than what they had. What do we have? We have the Lord Jesus Christ. We have salvation through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's what they were looking for, and we got in on that. We are a very blessed people. And my message this morning is entitled, Take a Trip with Me. And I'll explain more about that after we pray and ask the Lord's blessings on the message today. Father, thank you for the Word of God. Thank you for what we've already felt and experienced and heard here today for the Sunday school lessons, the testimonies we've heard, the singing. Uh, Lord, what a joy and what a privilege to be able to be part of something that uh, brings satisfaction to you. And Lord, that is our desire this morning, that we would bring satisfaction to you, your approval, to put a smile on your face. And Father, as we Uh, As we entertain this topic here today, Lord, you know my heart. You know what I've already said to you, that this is a matter that is too high for me. But Lord, I pray for your grace that I'd be able to preach faithfully what you'd have me to. And God, that this message today would find that place in our heart and give us what we need today here in these last days, these perilous times in which we live. Help us, we pray, and Lord, if there be anyone here today, and I I would have to assume there is, Lord, that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, perhaps someone who is saved but not right with God, Lord, it, it would be a joy and a blessing to them, to you, and to us, Lord, if you would do a work in heart. Someone would get saved or someone would repent and get right with you. We ask you for that. For the help and the blessings and the power of the Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. 
Today, November 5th, is International Day of Prayer for Persecuted Christians, and it's also been designated as the entire month of November, a special time of prayer for all of the persecuted Christians of the world. Now, many would say, well, where are there persecuted Christians? Hey, out in the world, they're out there. Many of them are out there. We enjoy relative safety here in the United States of America. We're able to worship and express our faith and gather and do all the things that we do with very little opposition, very little, yeah, there's some rules, there's some requirements, there's some things that we have to do, building safety and so forth, all of that is certainly part of the freedom that we enjoy and experience, but it is a privilege that we take for granted. It's not this way in all of the world. So today, I offer you a guilt trip. Preachers are notorious for guilt trips. Usually, they don't tell you it's a guilt trip, they just take you on one. I'm not very good at coming in the back door, so... It's okay if I tell you right up front, this is a guilt trip. We take trips and vacations to escape the pressures of life. But we all know that when we come back, those pressures are still there. In fact, they've often recruited some friends. We try to escape from the problems and pressures and stresses and all the things that we have to deal with in life. We are blessed here in America to have the affluency that we can take a vacation. Most of, uh, most of, when I was younger, my parents and grandparents, a vacation was something that maybe happened once or twice in a lifetime. You were fortunate just to take a day off or to go on a 4th of July picnic and things of that nature, and we've come accustomed to where we can take a trip to the beach, or we can do this, or we can do that. It's part of life. And listen, really, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty for that, but we do need to be thankful that we have the opportunity that we can drive somewhere that used to be out of reach, and we can get there in a relatively short period of time for a relatively short amount of expenses and so forth. And so there's all kinds of things that we do because we have the affluency in order to do it today. But none of it seems to be working and making our life any better. It doesn't help us in managing the stress. It just gives us a little bit of a break or a little bit of a change of scenery and so forth. As I think about this guilt trip, taking a trip with me, and we're focusing on persecuted Christians and martyrs throughout the Word of God and throughout church history, I must confess this morning that the amount of texts in the Bible are overwhelming. As I prepared this message, I I, I was just so amazed at how little we say about what God has said so much about. Psalm 116 and verse number 15 says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. And saints are not necessarily martyrs, but we know that there are things that God's children go through. And listen, we all want to live a long life, and we all want to die a natural death. We want to be able to feel like that our life has been fulfilled, but that's not been the case for all of God's people. The modern Christian preachers today that try to tell you that if you'll just be a Christian, then it'll make your life wonderful, they are lying. It is not in accordance with the Word of God, and it is not even in accordance with honest observation around us. Christians go through some very, very tough things. We need to remember that. We need to be thankful for what we have. The first stop on this trip that I'm asking you to take with me is in Jerusalem. If you take your Bibles and go to Matthew chapter number 23, Matthew chapter number 23, I've got a lot of page markers up here in my Bible so that I can get, I have to get to it quicker than you do. Matthew chapter 23, and look with me if you would. 
in verse number 34, Jesus speaking, he said, Wherefore, behold, I send unto you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them ye shall kill and crucify, and some of them ye shall scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city. This first stop is in Jerusalem. Jesus is talking to Jews that are persecuting God's men, the prophets, the priests, the scribes, the people that are representing God, trying to preach and teach to them what they need to hear. They are persecuting them. Doing, he got, Jesus said, this is what they're going to do to you. Verse 35, that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, son of Barachias, whom ye slew between the temple and the altar. This is nothing new. This is nothing new for God's people. These are God's people that are persecuting and martyring God's men. Why? Because they were unethical? Why? Because they stole the offering? Why? Because they were being unfaithful to their wives? No, because they were preaching the truth of God's word and they didn't want to hear it. Verse 36, Verily I say unto you, all these things shall come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets, and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. They stiff-armed the Lord. We don't want what you have to offer. We don't want your love. And The Lord said in verse 38, Behold, your house is left unto you desolate, for I say unto you, Ye shall not see me henceforth, till ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Jesus prophesied that Jerusalem would be a place where they would be persecuting God's men and God's people. Now, turn over to the book of Acts chapter number 7 with me. And we're going to see an example. Now, the Apostle Peter had already preached to these Jews. In Acts chapter number 2, Peter preaches and he tells them that Jesus, whom they crucified, that he rose again and he basically lays it all out in front of them and said, you crucified your Messiah. And when that happened, according to Acts chapter number 2, the people that were listening, the Bible says they were pricked in the heart. They, they didn't feel good about it. They, they weren't rejoicing. They were cut to the heart at what the man of God said. They realized their guilt. They realized that they had messed up. And what did they say to Peter? They said, what shall we do? And the first thing that Peter said, you need to repent. You need to repent. You need to turn away from the... You messed up. And you need to turn from that and you need to get it right. In Acts chapter number 7, Stephen's basically doing the same thing in a different different method, a different personality, and he lays out the entire history of Israel before the people he was preaching to. And look with me, we'll pick up in verse number 54. It says, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. Alright? Different preacher, basically the same message. Same response, they're cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. Now, I've heard preachers preach this. Now, I'm not sure I know what to think of it. I've heard preachers say that if the, the, the Jews here would have responded to Stephen's message that Jesus was standing as if he was getting ready to come back right then and right there. Now, my personal opinion, I, I don't believe that, I don't see that. I, I think that if Jesus was going to come back in a response to the people, it would have been when they respond positively, not when they responded negatively. Yes. But I do believe this that Jesus was standing in honor of his man that is getting ready to be martyred, that's being persecuted. He said, I see Jesus standing on the right hand of God. Verse 56, 
and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. And they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord. Back in 1986, I had just gotten right with the Lord. I hadn't completely surrendered to the Lord, but I went down to a Jubilee meeting down in Cocoa, Florida. And I remember we were listening to preaching all day long. There was like 17 services. I don't know, probably just three. But we're listening to preaching all day long, and they had just a little bit of break between the afternoon or the, 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 the noon service and the afternoon service. So all the guys that I was with went back to the hotel, Brother Runyon, several guys in the, the, in the church that went with us. And they're all taking a nap in the hotel room. I'm so, I am so full of God. And I was. I mean, I was just soaking it in. I had just gotten right with God. I was so excited to learn the Word of God. And instead of taking a nap, I go out uh, outside of the hotel room, and I'm out there kind of a courtyard area, and I've got my Green Gideon's Bible. I don't know how many times I read through that in 1986. And I'm out there, and I'm reading the Bible. And this retired gentleman walked by, and I, he was probably a snowbird that had come down there for January. And so he walked by, and I started to try to witness to him. And I, nobody told me to do this. I, this wasn't planned. This just happened. When I started to try to witness to him and tell him about Jesus, he literally shook his head put his hands over his ears, stopped his ears, shook his head, and just, he couldn't get away from me quick enough. And I, nobody taught me what you, you know, I didn't know how to be a soul winner, I didn't know anything about that, and so I just started preaching at him. As he's going away, I just started saying, Jesus said, you must be born again. It's like, I, I don't know. I just thought he needed to hear it whether he wanted to hear it or not. I, I wasn't preaching angry at him. I was just so overwhelmed that, hey, this guy needs this message and he won't listen. I, I got to make sure that he gets it no matter what. And so I just started preaching at him. But, so I know what it's like when people will physically say, I don't want to hear what you have to say doesn't happen in this church very often. I've had people walk out. I've had people walk out to use the restroom <laughs> when I just said something that was controversial. And I'm like, oh, no. I mean, I just offended them. But, you know, they, they came back. <laughs> you can't appreciate what's going, going on between the ears of the preacher. Well, Stephen's preaching his heart out. And they're, gnashed, they're, they're gnashing on him with their teeth. They're stopping their ears. And then it says in verse 57, They ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city. And they stoned him. They took big rocks about the size of the palm of your hand. These weren't little stones and pebbles that they were throwing. These were big rocks and they're all just, I mean, they literally, they just bashed him. And that's how he died. And they laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. You know him as the Apostle Paul. God gave him a different name later on. In verse 59, and they stoned Stephen calling upon God and saying, watch this folks, Lord Jesus, receive, keep in mind he's looking up, he's seeing, God is revealing himself to his man. He's seeing Jesus and he says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice. His last words were, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. The apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus, is watching this. Saul was consenting unto his death. Saul was the one that probably incited this riot. He's holding everybody's clothes so that they can freely throw those rocks at this, according to what they thought, this false prophet. Paul said in Acts 22, verse number 20, uh, he refers to this as thy martyr Stephen, speaking of Jesus. He's saying that Stephen was a martyr of 
Jesus Christ. What what a great honor to be called that. I'm not looking for that, folks, and neither are you. But that was a great thing for the Apostle Paul to say that of Stephen. And so our first stop is Jerusalem. Our second stop is basically everywhere that Paul went. (laughs) Seriously. I, I, I couldn't list all of the towns and all of the communities and all of the regions where Paul went. Basically, everywhere he went, he was persecuted. Turn to First Corinthians chapter number 15 with me. First Corinthians chapter 15. And he says in verse number 30, he says, Why stand we in jeopardy every hour? He says, I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die daily. If I, after the manner of men, have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage, what advantage, I can't say that. What advantageth it me if the dead rise not? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. What's Paul saying? You know, they're sticking him in the Colosseum, almost like a gladiator. They're turning wild beasts loose on him. And what's Paul doing? He's fighting with them. I don't know what he's, he doesn't say what he's got, if he has any weapons. He's obviously not just laying down and saying, you know, eat me. He's not saying that. He's just fighting, trying to stay alive, entertaining the crowd. And Paul's saying, why, why am I doing that? If you're living the way that you're living, Paul's saying either I'm missing something or you're missing something. And you know what, brothers and sisters, if the Apostle Paul were alive today, he'd be looking out at us, myself including, and he'd go, what are you doing? Do you have any idea what everybody else is having to go through? If I'm going through this and you're living the way that you're living... Why am I even bothering? He says, I protest by that. He says, what, it, what is it, any advantage to me? He said, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Let's just live it up. Let's just live for pleasure. Let's just live for where we're going to eat tomorrow. What are we going to do? When's our next vacation? Paul says, I protest by that. He said, I have to deal with this every day of my life. Here, this church at Corinth, they're whining and complaining about everything. The Apostle Paul's not whining or complaining about anything. He's just trying to stay alive so that he can continue to faithfully preach the gospel and try to get people saved. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter number 11 Verse number 24, he says, Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. He was on the other side of that whip until he got saved, and now he's on the other side receiving the stripes. Thrice, he says, was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. You know, they left him dead, and he probably did die, but... The Bible says that he, he got up after that and he walked away. Probably miraculous. Thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day have I been in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, perils in the city, perils in the wilderness, perils in the sea, perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Then beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. He's talking about all the outward problems, and then on top of that, he's got this inward burden for all of the churches, for all of the Christians. You know, I have, I've only been in maybe a handful, seven or eight fights in my life. I wasn't one of these kids that was always fighting, but I had a few fights in my life, and I know that I lost a few, and I won a few. 
But I know one thing, I'd hate to go into a fight with a hundred pound pack on my back thinking that I got a chance of winning that. That's going to definitely stack the odds in favor of the enemy. Paul's going through all of this with the weight and the burden of all of the churches. He's dealing with it internally, emotionally, spiritually, and then he's dealing with all of the other things, hunger and thirst and being getting beat up with rods and all of these things that he's having to deal with. In 2 Timothy 3, in verse number 10, he says, But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Now watch this, folks. This is, this is a guilt trip, I know. Verse 12, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. All this prosperity gospel nonsense that is so popular in America today, it's a bunch of hogwash. Paul says that's not the Christian life. It's not a bed of roses. It's not a life of ease. God has saved us. And you know what? Here's what we have to remember. And, and I understand that this is not the kind of invitation that's going to be like a sugar stick sermon that's just going to get everybody come down to the altar and volunteer and say, yeah, I want to follow Jesus. But you know what? It's better than burning in hell for all eternity to get your sins forgiven and to know Jesus Christ, to be able to identify with Him and have a purposeful, meaningful life and relationship with Him It's all part of the package deal. And I don't know what is going to happen to you and I tomorrow. I I, I do believe, as Brother Randy Kimberlin said, we're seeing some things unfold. As Brother Max said, there's nothing that has to be fulfilled as far as Bible prophecy that is hindering that trumpet from sounding. But we know the day is approaching. We know that things are getting weirder and weirder around us and things that we never thought that we'd ever hear and see, it's going on right before our very eyes. We need to prepare. Third stop, Thessalonica. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 3. And as we look at this, I remind you that the church at Thessalonica More is said to them about the rapture, about the coming day, the gathering away unto him. More is said to the churches of Thessalonica than any other church. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse number 1. He said, Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone. And sent Timotheus, our brother, and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith, that no man should be moved by these afflictions, for yourselves know that ye were appointed thereunto. Once again, you're not going to read about this in a book by Joel Osteen. You're not going to hear this preached by Creflo Dollar and T.D. Jakes and all of these popular guys. Benny Hinn's not going to touch this. Neither is Kenneth Copeland. They're not going, they're not going anywhere near that. They're not going to go within a hundred miles of this text. Paul said that that's what we were appointed to. There's going to be some suffering. There's going to be some persecutions. He says, verse 5, For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you, and our labor be in vain. Look at Second Thessalonians chapter number 1. And once again, the texts are overwhelming. There are so many things in the Word of God in the New Testament that are talking about exactly what this message is here this morning. Second Thessalonians chapter number one, 
And verse number one, Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus, under the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth, so that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure. Watch this, verse 5, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God. Some people say, I want God to be real in my life. I think that's a good thing. Yes, sir. But I suggest you buckle your seatbelt. God wants to be real in our life. But I'll tell you what he wants to do. He wants to get us past all of this nonsense fluff that's become Christianity in America today. He can't be real in our life unless he's being real with his word and reality. Yes. We, we, want God, we want God to manifest himself in our way. We want him to be after our image, but God says we're created in his image. We want God to be there for our pleasure, and God says, I saved you for my pleasure. It's a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which ye also suffer, seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints, to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. Wherefore also we pray always for you, that God would count you worthy of this calling, and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and ye in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. What's this connected with? It's connected to persecutions and sufferings, troubles and trials. We are so spoiled, rotten as American Christians. We don't even know... We're so clueless as to what real, true Christianity is all about. Fourth stop is the devil's backyard. I'll go through this one quickly. In the book of Revelation, Jesus says to two different churches, the first one is Smyrna. In Revelation 2, verse number 10, he says, Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Listen, I, I'm not looking for the martyr's crown, but I know from the word of God that anyone who dies for the cause and for the sake of Jesus Christ, God has a special crown of life, a reward in store for anyone and everyone that lays their life down for the cause of Christ. In Pergamos, Revelation 2, verse 13, he says, I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seed is. Thou holdest fast my name and hast not denied my faith, even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. Listen, brothers and sisters. We are living in Satan's backyard today. Yes. Satan is going to do everything he can to destroy your life. He has so many devices. He's going to try to get you to yield to sin. He's going to try to get you on addictions or drunkenness or fornication and sexual perversion. If he can't infiltrate you that way, he's going to get your worldview and just the way that you see life 
the way that you see eternity. He's going to get you all messed up, and he is going to work between these two ears right here. Rest assured, we are in the last days, and he knows he has just a short time, and he is throwing everything, including the kitchen sink, at God's people. God's made a promise here. Be faithful, even if it's unto death. The fifth stop. The fifth stop's a little bit more modern. We've been seeing some things in the Bible, but the fifth stop is communist, Catholic, and Islamic nations. And I could go on and on. I'm not a current events or a world news kind of a guy, but I know a thing or two. I've read some books. I Take a look at uh, the voice of the martyrs. I hear some things from missionaries. I have taught church history at a Bible Institute level two or three times. I don't even remember. I, I know a thing or two about church history. I read Fox's Book of Martyrs, which I highly recommend if you want a good reality check on how you perceive this world and the Christian life. Persecution and martyrdom are not a thing of the past. This isn't something that happened way back then. They are present in the world today and always have been. In the 1990s, a man that the author refers to as Dmitri had some people gather in his house in Russia. They wanted to hear Bible stories and sing Christian songs together. He was not a preacher or a missionary or a church planter. He was threatened by the authorities and eventually thrown into prison where he suffered immensely. And I could tell you story after story of this man and other men that in similar communist countries were persecuted. Now listen, let me say this. Just like here in the United States of America, if you're in a foreign country, you can watch CNN or you can watch World News and you can find out something that's going on in New York City or Minneapolis and you got to be careful. You can't judge the entire nation based on an event that happens in a city. You got to be careful there. It doesn't mean that that's representative. Aren't you glad the, the BLM uh, rioting that went on, that that doesn't represent the entire country of America. I'm just simply saying that these are true stories that happened in our lifetime. The security police in, Ch- in China are held responsible for squelching all forms of Christian gathering. Here's a sample dialogue between communist police and one house church in China. The police said this, if you don't stop having these religious meetings, we will confiscate your house and throw you out in the street. They said, if you want my house and farm, you'll have to talk to Jesus because we gave it all to him. (laughs) We don't have any way to get to Jesus, but we can certainly get to you. When we take your property, you and your family will have nowhere to live. Well, then we will be free to trust God to shelter us and provide our daily bread. If you keep this up, we will beat you. Then we will be free to trust Jesus for our healing. Well, then we'll put you in prison. They responded, then we will be free to preach the good news of Jesus to the other captives so they can be made free as well. We'll, We will be free to plant churches in prison. (laughs) If you try that, we will kill you. Then we will be free to go to heaven and be with Jesus forever. This is a true story of a true dialogue that took place less than 30 years ago. This is happening in this world today. And notice the stark contrast between this Christianity and our Christianity. Oh, I'm going to quit on God because that preacher didn't shake my hand. That preacher just preaches too long preaches negative sermons on martyrdom martyrdom and suffering. So I'm just going to quit going to church. And you, you get it. This is a guilt trip. This is a reality check. The sixth stop is the heart of man. Human nature is religious, prejudiced, 
and violent. Jesus went all the way back to the blood of even Cain and he put it on those Jews at Jerusalem. All of the blood, all the way back to Cain, he said, I'm requiring it of this generation. Why? Because their Messiah was right there and they said, crucify him, crucify him. The Jews persecuted early Christians. Christians persecuted Jews. Muslims persecute Christians, and Christians persecute and despise Muslims. It just depends on who's got power. The Reformers were persecuted by the Catholic Church, and then the Reformers turned around and persecuted Anabaptists. You know what? If we were alive during the time, if we were alive in the geographic location of John Calvin even, who was a Reformer, and we believed in rebaptizing infants because we do. I, I believe, listen, infant baptism is not in the Word of God. If you get saved later on in life, I don't care how many times you've been baptized before, we baptize you again because the Bible says you're supposed to be baptized after your salvation, not for it and not before it, not for church membership, nothing about infant baptism. You and I, and I think I can speak for most of you, if we were alive in that day, we would be re-baptizing those that were baptized as infants. And guess what? Many of those lost their life by Protestants because of that doctrinal teaching. What am I saying? I'm saying the problem is in the heart of man. It's not a government. It's not an ethnic It's not a nationality thing. The problem is the human heart. I think about our nation and I think what happened to one nation under God. I read this just and I'm almost done. I read this just a few days ago. Former Biden press secretary Jen Psaki. You might remember her, the redhead lady that was the White House press secretary for, I think, several years. She recently criticized the new House Speaker, Mike Johnson. Listen to what she says. This is very revealing. He is far from benign, but it's not just his political ideology that should scare us. Johnson is basically a Christian fundamentalist. He believes that America is a Christian nation and that those values should be reflected in our interpretation of the Constitution. Johnson's ideas of what America should be are completely out of line with what America actually is, making him the opposite of harmless. Now, I agree with that last statement. She's right. His views of what America should be are out of line with what America is. But the problem is, is America ought to repent and get back to what we ought to be. That's where Mike Johnson is correct. But you know what? If if you believe anything like I believe, you would be categorized as not being harmless, not being benign, but rather you're the problem in America today. You're holding us back from being what we are. And I got... Sad news for Miss Saki here. She she is wrong, but sadly, she is representative of what has become mainstream mentality in the United States of America. Yes. Folks, Christianity in America is still worth striving for. It's still worth praying for. Paul said of Rome, and listen, Nero was a, a very wicked emperor. I mean, he, he, he brutally had his wife murdered because he didn't get his way over something. He persecuted Christians, and yet the Apostle Paul said we need to pray for our kings and governors that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. We need to pray for our leaders, regardless of how pagan, regardless of how liberal and messed up that they are. We need to pray for them. America is still worth praying for. But I believe we will continue to see the decline. Yesterday's rejection of God is today's contempt. Today's contempt 
will be tomorrow's persecution. Like I said, you better buckle your seatbelt. I just want to highly recommend to all of us, myself including, that we start getting real with this Christianity thing. And we quit playing games at it because a little nominal, you know, yeah, I believe in God, I have a Bible in my house, I come to church every now and then, that's not going to get you through the tough stuff that may be just around the corner. My last stop on this trip, how can we go anywhere without ending at Calvary's cross? You think about Calvary's cross, I think about what Jesus did for you and I, the righteous who died for the wicked, the just who died for the unjust. He died for you and I even when we were yet sinners. He didn't say, get yourself cleaned up and then I'll die for you. He said, I'm going to die for you the way that you are. Why? Because we need him. We need him desperately. Jesus didn't die on the cross to be a little helper to us. He died on the cross because we are utterly incapable of doing anything of any eternal value to deserve one millisecond in heaven. Your best day when you were the most righteous and you did the most good things on your best day, you were still worthy of a devil's hell. It doesn't pay or atone for all of those past sins. The only thing that could atone for our sins is the precious blood of Jesus Christ that he willingly laid down. He wasn't, he wasn't a martyr per se. He was a redeemer. He was the Lamb of God that gave himself for the sins of the whole world. He could have called legions of angels to rescue him. They didn't take his life from him. He laid it down willingly for you and for me. The problem lies with the apathy of God's so-called people. Jesus is important to us, but he's not everything to us. Someone, someone once said that Jesus, Jesus won't be anything to us until he's everything to us. We see that in churches today. I see it in the mirror too often when I look at myself and question, what would I do? What am I going to do when persecution comes? If I have to make a choice between just maybe ignoring some Bible texts, knowing that they may come and put me in handcuffs and throw me in jail, listen, the day's coming. We know it. There's laws in our northern neighbor in Canada, and it's just right around the corner here where they're going to say that you can't preach against the LGBTQ movement. It's a hate crime. It's just around the corner. Legislation has been presented. Fortunately, it's been, by narrow voting margins, it's been shot down. But once again, today's mentality is tomorrow's persecution. I don't know, only the Lord knows my heart, but I desire that if and when that day comes in my lifetime, I pray, I say, God, help me to be faithful to your word. Come what may, no matter what. I know it's not easy for any man of God. I'm sure Jeremiah struggled when God said, I want you to go preach what I want you to preach. And he said, nobody's going to listen to you. You're not going to have one single convert, Jeremiah. Jeremiah was falsely accused. They said, you're not patriotic. You're a traitor. He was accused of betraying his nation. And all he did was just tell the truth. They threw him in a dungeon. I mean, up to his neck in muck and mire. They fed him moldy, skanky, nasty bread. They mocked, they called him names and all of those things. And that was what his ministry was all about, but he he was faithful to God all the way. I, I hope and I pray that if we find ourselves in that case, that we'll be faithful. Jesus is important to us, but he's not everything. What do we do? We 
I got to confess, I go in the tank because somebody didn't like me, because somebody didn't treat me the way I expected to be treated. We feel like quitting when things don't work out the way that we expected. Oh, we dutifully come to church, but we really wish we could be on vacation. We get excited at a ball game and then sit like a disinterested bullfrog in a church service. Things get ugly. I think that you'll, it's going to manifest. And it's either going to be all ball game, no church whatsoever, or you're going to face the reality and say, you know what? The only thing that's going to matter is Jesus Christ. I might as well live for him. So, my last thought here, in light of what Jesus has done for us, I have to say we are pitiful and pathetic. In light of what other believers have endured, we ought to feel guilty. Why? Because we are guilty. It's just the fact of the matter. I, I told you this was a guilt trip. I understand from experience that guilt trips are short-lived, but some guilt trips, if they're based on truth and if we acknowledge it that, hey, this is true, who knows, maybe maybe we could put that in the category of conviction rather than the category of guilt trip. I am convinced here this morning that what I'm saying is true. I'm convinced that what I'm saying here this morning is relevant, and I'm convinced that it's something that needs to be said today. Turn to Revelation chapter number 3, and, and I'm done. Jesus is getting ready to say something to us. I believe that this church is us today in America. I, I don't doubt it, not one single bit. The description is 2AT. Christian church in America today. Revelation chapter number 3 and verse number 14. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing. Knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that thy shame, the shame of thy nakedness, do not appear and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. These are all spiritual truths here. We're not talking about clothing people that are naked physically. He's talking about the righteousness of our soul. Verse 19, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him, will sup with him, and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches.